I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. finally used the Brandon Bird Nicholas oh. Cage sticker to cover up the logo on our mixer. Caution, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to know in advance you're dealing with Nicholas Cage. Cage reversing. <laughs> Nicholas Cage reversing. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a there's a there's an actor who alternatively clearly doesn't give a fuck but also picks his projects well sometimes. <laughs> sometimes he's in something that's transcendent. But then most of the time, it feels like, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Hot Tub Time Machine guy. Oh, God, which one? Are you talking about uh, John Cusack? Yeah, Cusack. Is that for the last five, six years, he's okay with being an utter tripe. But to be oh. fair, he said no to Hot, T- Hot Tub Time Machine too. Oh, well. Which is something awful. Some standards. Yeah, it's nice to cut the, you know, draw the line somewhere. Hmm. That mo- of the, all the movies that I saw in 2017, Hot Tub Time Machine 2 was the worst. It's just it's awful, but it's also really mean-spirited. Oh, why? It just it feels like it's a movie from the perspective of bullies picking on a nerd. Uh. And it never quite, you know, cuz sometimes you'll have a thing where characters are sort of picking on each other and stuff like that, but the other characters kind of give it back where it just feels like the point of view of Hot Tub Time Machine 2 is let's all make fun of Clark Duke. It's sad that he's a nerd and reads books. And I'm like, what decade are we in? Jeez. And it was just, it was that. And it was also really unfocused. The original Hot Tub Time Machine is a far better movie than it has any rights to be. But it's also very specifically focused. It's a bunch of guys that go to a ski resort that they used to enjoy when they were teenagers coming out of high school in the 80s and they would go up there and go to these massive drinking adventures and they're going up there now because one of their friends just botched an attempted suicide but he won't admit it was an attempted suicide but they just kind of want to try to pull him out of his funk so they're all going to this place which was the last time they were all happy and uh, they go up there with those friends plus the uh, nephew of one of them and they end up getting sucked back in time to the 80s mm-hmm. And to it's a sort of quantum leap thing where to everyone else, they look the way they did in 1986. So they have to relive uh, this weekend that they had, this great last weekend at this ski resort uh, before they all had to go off and be grownups. And uh, they're very, very much about let's not change time, let's not do anything. Because in the present day, the ski resort is a shithole when it's broken and all that. And Crispin Glover is the bellhop sure, who uh, sure. has one arm and he's really bitter all the time. And they go back to the 80s and he's still a bellhop, but he has both of his arms. And there's these scenarios in the movie where it looks like he's about to lose his arm and then he doesn't. Like He's like reaching into the elevator and then the elevator falls just as he pulls his hand out. And after the third time that happens, Rob Corddry just goes, oh, come on! <laughs> but it's a very specific movie. The second one is just them jumping across time and fucking around and it doesn't feel like it has a point. Mm. And it's a shit. They movie. didn't go Gremlins 2. Yeah, they they I and uh, it Gremlins 2 they at least I don't know, the first movie is so specific that you really shouldn't make a sequel to it. 
It's like, you know how the end credits of Hot Tub Time Machine is basically just jokes about time travel? What if the end credit sequence was the whole movie? Plus, really mean-spirited. That's what the sequel is. And I'm like, I wish this hadn't been made, and John Cusack was smart enough not to do it. Well, I'm sold. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Never watching that one! Um, I have a thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Sanders is the closest American answer to a Time Lord that we have. Uh, Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken? <laughs> Discuss! That's true. He does have many how, incarnations. Yeah, how, how many different individuals have become Colonel Sanders Oh, geez. since since the marketing campaign started? Norm MacDonald. Um, Jim Gaffigan, I believe, was Colonel Sanders. Jim Gaffigan. There's been a bunch of them. Is it, do, you think, do you think it's morally reprehensible to be Colonel Sanders? <laughs> To become Colonel Sanders? Are you are you equating I mean, the the white suit and sort of that persona as like the Confederate flag? I mean, people, somewhat. People dressed like Colonel Sanders to defend slavery. I mean, somewhat. I mean, I guess he was an okay guy. The the Colonel was, but I mean, yeah, I mean why are you assuming? How many people? How many coronaries have been caused by the Colonel's oh, special recipe? I thought this was like a. a a historical fiction no, kind of thing where like he fought in the war kind of deal. No, I don't think he was ever that important. Okay. Just, it's like he was responsible for hate crimes or something. I'm like, <laughs> I haven't heard any of this Isn't, about Colonel Sanders. I thought there was a thing where you could become like an honorary Kentucky Colonel. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more of that kind of deal. Oh, yeah. Where you don't really, honorary. it's like being a knight, but yeah. for Kentucky. S- Sir Colonel Sanders. Because <laughs> it's like the state militia. You're not, it, again, it's like Sir Ian McKellen is never going to yeah. be called upon to slay a dragon for Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> See, people say that enough times that I think it's actually going to happen. Well, that she's going to call that that favor in for probably a heist, I'm guessing? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about corporate fast food mascots and the guy who played Ronald McDonald. Have we talked about this before? The guy who we grew up. Am I about to have my childhood broken? No, no, no. no, I just want to know. Not really. That's like every week now. Yeah. (laughs) The guy who, and I I wish I knew that I have to look up his name. He did it for like almost 30 years and he was a vegan. So... Oh. It's such, such a weird thing that his that his sort of livelihood was enticing children to sort of in, embark in a lifestyle that he <laughs> vehemently like opposed. Piper now? Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. I, mean, I don't think he's fully comparable to Joe Camel because that feels like the direction no. we're going. Yeah, but he, I guess you're getting into that Time Lord thing. Ronald McDonald's a Time Lord too, because how many people <laughs> have played him over the years? And in multiple countries, there's there's like a YouTube video compilation of all the Ronald McDonalds around the world. Oh my god, this is going to be because there's one of the things in the the Silver Age of comics. Batman would occasionally meet other Batman from around the world, including like Bat Ombre. What? <laughs> who, who rode a horse with a mask? Um, he's like the Batman of Mexico, oh. and um, I think there's a Batman of Japan. This he, is he fought. He this fought... is just flirting with such exploitation. Like... <laughs> oh, believe me, it was it would be uncomfortably racist now. Yeah, but um, that's the sort of vibe I get from the 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 international coalitions of Ronald's McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> I think you you conjugate it like attorneys general. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the other uh ronald's mcdonald around the world the one that i remember most clearly was uh japan and i i want to say it was played by a, a female ronald really <laughs> yeah, you mean maku donorudos maku donorudos is, is... not it's not mcdonald's man but isn't the the kfc specifically has a place in japanese culture that for christmas oh yeah absolutely that I've I've heard this. I've never actually been to Japan, but I know you have. Um, that- yeah, it's a common thing where I think there was like a marketing campaign around Christmas time where everyone started associating KFC with Christmas. And obviously, like Christmas isn't a huge deal in Japan. It's not 
not that type of tradition. But yeah, they a lot of people would um, get chicken at Christmas time. That my host family and I had cake. I that was like the main thing that we did. But well, I, you were celebrating Jesus's birthday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the birth of cake. our savior, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> it was good birthday. Our savior, cake. Ronald McDonald. Excuse but he's a time lord that he is repeatedly dying and coming back. Yeah. He's yeah. rising from the dead as Jason Alexander. Much like our lord. But, yes. But, the, but uh, in the Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yes. In the Colonel Sanders sort of time lord verse, was there ever like a galactic war where all the all the sanders's people were killed and he's the last of the sanders's like the, the colonels like the fast food wars from demolition man <laughs> yes. i was trying to figure out if you were doing either highlander or scientology there <laughs> i wasn't really Could have been. but you know in in uh in the doctor is like the last surviving race because there was like the annihilation of his galaxy or something right so like would the master be like the ceo of panera bread <laughs> oh <laughs> god he would whoever whoever runs Pex, pepsi co who's that is it who, who is it yum brands is that who owns pepsi and taco bell and kfc it's, they own everything so they're gallifrey is that what we're saying <laughs> and kfc is the one that just goes off script and they're like oh you're a reckless kfc <laughs> But I'm just trying to imagine if the the CEO of Panera Bread is like a guy in like a black smock with a widow's peak and a beard now. And he's, <laughs> it's it's Delgado Master Delgado offering you fresh ingredients. Oh my god! But it's it's so weird though that they've brought the Colonel Sanders thing back in such a big way. You gotta remember, I I haven't been in the country for quite some time, and I haven't regularly watched television. Is he like a big thing now? Oh yeah, oh. I mean, and they recast him basically every other commercial. The last uh, one was Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. Weird. Uh, Norm Macdonald, Jim Gaffigan. Um, I know the extra crispy Colonel. That's um, what's his name from Zorro the Did Gay. Did they Lane. kill him? I, they don't have on-screen deaths for Colonel Sanders, <laughs> but I would have—I would imagine it. off-screen. There's a man with a large knife, and when it, when the, it's done filming, they just slit their throat. It's like it's not—it's not possible to, for that to have more and, than one. And commercial. now we we require a sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, how else do you keep this, the spirit of Colonel Sanders going? He needs fresh blood. He's got to cut his throat over the bucket of chicken. <laughs> I'm never eating mashed potatoes from there again. I used to work at a KFC, oh, so I can sorry. come to this with, and I can tell you. Don't eat the mashed potatoes. Okay. What? Ew. Um, it's basically powdered stuff, water, and fake butter in a blender. Ooh. Yeah. It's, I would say that. It's not. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, all fast food I thought you were going to say that there, was, fake, there but... was like chicken assholes in there or something. And then you'd be like, ew. Uh, <laughs> it was a nightmare to work there. I mean, that was that part of your, your childhood where you're just getting a job for the first time. And... You don't understand that as a worker you have rights and people would exploit. (laughs) And this is the thing I'll say about millennials and the generation after millennials is they have a much keener understanding of, you know, not allowing themselves to be treated like shit. Where our generation, I think that if a grown up who is your boss told you to do something, you just go, well, if a grown up said it, it must be okay. Is this, are you sure this isn't like American history for the past 150, 200 years or so? Oh, I think it is. Workers just really had no idea that they had any rights whatsoever i mean <laughs> well hopefully you move into your your mid to late 20s and then you start to realize that uh you shouldn't necessarily be shat on by and we can we can seize the means of so. chicken production for yes. ourselves <laughs> well, wait so did you work there when it was still kentucky fried chicken or was it then had transitioned to the more health conscious kfc i think we were 
I think we're in the 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 uh, the the middle, the fulcrum of that change, where there was a mix of both of them, where it still said Kentucky Fried Chicken, and now just KFC because we can not have fried on it, and we can pretend this is fucking health food. Hmm. Also, it's surprising they bring the Colonel Sanders back because they, if when they're trying to put uh, fried down the memory hole, they were also trying to put Kentucky down the memory hole with what? this whole KFC initialism. They wanted to zip it up. And so you didn't know anything about it. There's a whole generation of kids that don't know anything about Kentucky and fried. They just know the chicken. <laughs> they don't even know what the words are. I thought you were going to go Alex Jones there. First. <laughs> so, it's like, these, these kids, it's all false flag. We don't know anything about Kentucky. They're all in down there. It's all fake. Can we, like, legit try to start a theory where Kentucky isn't real? <laughs> oh, God. And we we could just call them all crisis no, like, actors if they show up on Twitter and said, oh, what are you talking about? I'm from Louisville. And you're like, <laughs> fuck you, crisis actor. You're a liar. You're a liar. No, it's a Berenstain Bears thing. It was always KFC that was never a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And if you find some bit of like evidence where it's spelled wrong, that's just from the alternate universe, right? Oh, is this Berenstain? Berenstain, yes. <laughs> Do you know about this? I, I'm having a seizure right now at this information. So the, the, the popular set of children's books, which, by the way... As a dad, uh, the the sort of characterization of Papa Bear, the father in there, he's worse than Homer Simpson. He is not a role model. He teaches young children that dads are irresponsible, neglectful children themselves who are not worthy of your love and respect. Plus, there's that book where he's racist against a panda family that moves in next what? door. What? That's from a book from China. Where did they come from? Yeah, China? I, think, I think they're they're supposed to be. Chinese or something, but he's just like blah, 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 Archie Bunker. Of course, he's a racist, and and just of like, course, Papa Bear's a racist. One <laughs> well, of many things to make it not. He's dressed something. like a cartoon hillbilly. Yes, he he never wears shoes. Anyway, so what you were talking about is it's Baron. They're the last name of the people whom Jan and Stan is Baron Stain, and but it, people people remember it as Baron Steen because right. there's lots of names that end with Steen. So much so that people are sort of like, oh, no, it was it was Steen in my childhood. I know it, and so there's sometimes where they'll be like a. You know, something published where it's misspelled uh-huh. and someone will take a picture of it and put it on the internet like it's from the alternate reality where it actually was Berenstein. <laughs> and there are people that are putting forth like serious arguments about how at some point in <laughs> oh, the yeah. past we jumped to another universe <laughs> where it is the like the Berenstein versus Berenstain universe. Yeah, we're in the worst timeline. I mean, uh, clearly. <laughs> I mean, there's there is ample evidence that we are in the worst timeline. I just take it as red now. Like, yeah, worst timeline. It is the Berenstain universe. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I think that it's now in the purview of their son who's doing it, who learned to be an illustrator and writer. And now it's there's a lot of proselytizing in it, so it's yeah. even yeah. it's even less it's even less more of sort of like a wholesome thing because it's partisan. Right. Anywho, yeah, it's, anywho, it's pretty ugly. So we actually were uh, trying to prevent ourselves from beating on the same dead horses that we frequently do on this show. <laughs> Like <laughs> Zack Snyder. Um, so <laughs> one of the things we wanted to do is we put it out to folks on Patreon. Give us stuff to talk about. and Because uh, we're at that phase of this podcast <laughs> here. We've run out of things to say about Disney and we're gonna George Lucas. Panhandle for stuff to talk about. So. <laughs> at some point, if you get through that list quickly, I have, I have a thing I want to ask as well. Why don't oh, you ask yes. that thing now? Let's go oh, for it. Yeah. Are fanzines dead? No, I think they're kind of coming back in the way that vinyl is coming back. Really? Okay. Um, there are people that are making them again. I actually hear about the, people making zines. Alan the, Moore makes a zine. Really? Yeah. Oh, mm. I definitely want to see that then. Um, I, I had a kind of sad experience uh, participating in a fanzine recently. Oh. And I'm trying to figure out 
if it's just a trend or if it was that particular fanzine or if, yeah, I don't know. Well, tell us your story. So um, the it's for the television series Blake Seven. Okay. And it's a very small fandom, admittedly. There's it's also kind of um, scattered across different chunks of the internet and is very intergenerational too. So the like British sci-fi. Yeah, series. British sci-fi series from the early '80s. So it's got a lot of legacy behind it, but not a lot of people are actively involved in the fandom. There used to be loads and loads of fanzines for it because a lot of the fandom predates the internet. Sure. It's something that they're trying to kind of bring back. And there was someone who wanted, you know, an illustrator for this one fancy. And I'm like, all right, I'll participate. And I sent in, I did a cover and I did like one illustration for a story. And I'm like, this sounds great. And they postponed it and went, all right, well, we have administrative things. Well, wait another month. Oh, we really need submissions. I'm like, what do you mean you need submissions? It's been going for six months. You don't have your submissions. And it turned out that the editor just had no... There were there nobody was submitting, hmm. and this was something from it was a small and old fandom, but there's definitely still activity going sure. on. So I was wondering if it's the kind of thing that maybe it was the wrong circles or like what exactly went wrong. I'm trying to do forensics about it, and if it like maybe this is just how fanzines are now, where it's kind of hard. You have this sort of instant gratification where you can just post a drawing or yeah. post yeah. something to social media, and you don't have to wait for it to come out and print for four months and then order it from the UK or whatever. I think that might be it. I think that there's a there's also a lot of lost skills that came with that. That there like uh, Paul Levitz, who was the publisher editor-in-chief of dc comics for a very long time he actually got his start in that industry as a fanzine writer right and that was a thing where if you wanted to talk critically or as a fan with other fans about this stuff you had two options you had the letter column or you had to learn how to make sub take submissions publish things yeah and then have a mailing list to send it out and and actually do all the legwork that's involved in there and i think because we live in a world where you can just hit a button and send it out to thousands of people mm -hmm. uh that there's a lot of lost skills in that because a lot of that stuff is kind of like being a blacksmith mm -hmm. there's not a lot of or a cobbler or any of these jobs where it feels like because there's a fancier automated way of doing this mm -hmm. then people don't learn how to do it because they've never needed to learn how to do it i'd imagine that there are some there's a bit of skills that overlap like you can curate a really good blog that i think yeah. might have a lot of the same things that are kind of comparable to a fanzine but yeah like the and the networking ability like you got like back in the day, you probably had to find a person who could collate copies or a person that could do this or a person that had the ability to go ship multiple things. And I wonder, yeah, you're right. Maybe it is a bit of a loss. I don't, I don't think I've ever actually held a fanzine in my hands, which is probably to the detriment of my life. Although I will say when you're thinking about it, I mean, I go the comic book shop that I go into here in Seattle. Um, they've got a whole wall for local comic books. And I'm assuming that the sort of the the uh the production of it is pretty much the same except with uh you know usually with indie comics self-produced comics it's usually probably one or two people doing it instead of mm -hmm. one person trying to get submissions from many people and right. accumulate it together so that it's sort of still alive in that respect because i'm sure most big markets have indie comics that are sort of publishing stuff together i guess the question that i have about fanzines is, is what is that what does the medium of a fanzine do that a sort of a curated fan blog doesn't do. I think there is a sense of permanence about it that's kind of nice. Hmm. Where if you want to just consume the media on your own time without 
instant uh like, I, I know that there are benefits to getting instant responses in real time. I mean, there's definitely a sense of validation for it when I post a drawing and 30 seconds later I get a comment. That's nice. But yeah. I also like the ability to sit and read or uh, just look, you know, look through something on my own time and not have that and kind of sit with myself in a... This sounds so meditative, but like the <laughs> mindfulness of consuming yes, something. Yes, that's true. And yeah. that happens. And a, a friend of mine like will just buy in mass fanzines from eBay. And then oh, wow. like send me a bunch of them and I'll sit like over the course of an afternoon and I'll shut off my phone and I'll kind of disconnect, which like is kind of over the importance of which I think might be a little overinflated these days in our culture. But it's nice to just unplug and sit with a piece of media and not have to have a constant response. Is it also the thing of uh, uh, I could easily be, you know, the Seattle Public Library is, is great. I could easily borrow ebooks if i wanted to if i didn't want to you know leave the house and go and mm -hmm. get something um i always i'm just now just prefer to read the physical copy of something mostly mostly because i don't have to like keep mm -hmm. my device charged or whatever for it to yeah. for it to work is that something too where it's sort of like well you're sort of separated from the contingency of your tablet or your phone and you can see it read it you know, you can read it on the bus and you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and the thing. It, that definitely is the case for like print based zines. I, yeah. I, you know, I feel I should say the zine that I had that experience with was electronic only. Oh, OK. And maybe that oh. that probably puts it into a very different space. Sure. Because you're trying to emulate that sort of self-contained, you know, package of content for someone to consume. But you're doing it in an electronic format where people are going, well, why not just release it on a blog? So sure. maybe hmm. that weird in between might have been the issue in this case. I don't know. I don't know. Someone start the Radio vs. the Martians fanzine. Yeah. Oh, God, that'd be great. I'm looking at you, episode sponsors. You have oh. five of you now. Five contributors. What are you asking for? <laughs> you've, you've, you've recruited them? This is all, <laughs> all just a, a scam to funnel them into uh, this group, and now I'm going to get them to do this? Okay. No, no, it's just my, my uh, what is it, the uh, MLM. I just want them to sell, like, uh, shampoo for me or something. Oh, you want to be a cult leader. Yes. I, I, I think <laughs> I understand now. The the whole, like, history of these podcasts is basically to sell Amway, isn't it? Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the way, folks, uh, you know that Amway <laughs> creates more millionaires than any... Yeah. No. By the way, I've had that happen to me. <laughs> I I used to work in a movie theater in high school, and the general manager of the movie theater was a guy who really thought that there was a quick way into fame and fortune. He was a failed screenwriter, failed everything. He was writing the screenplays on the computer at work, by the way. That's the way you do it. Which, when it's your boss, of course we're going to find them. <laughs> and <laughs> they're all kind of shallow ripoffs of things that were there was like Aww, we had uh what bless. was that ransom the mel gibson movie where his kid is kidnapped give me back my son yeah give me yeah that one <laughs> yes and there was like that's a bad all, that's all that i remember your mel about that gibson movie. voice is very muppet like no. so <laughs> there was like a there was like a bad version i want to see a muppet mel gibson that would that'd be great well, you probably could get a Muppet Mel Gibson nowadays because the other guy's pretty toxic to put in your movie. But um, um, my boss was a little bit of a Michael Scott in the sense, no. I mean, when I watched the, the Office, the American version of The Office, I can see little elements. He's a less cartoonish version of Michael Scott, but one of the things was he was really wanted to be a, a screenwriter and it was clear that he was kind of writing a version of himself into the script. Mm. And there was always kung fu in it. 
and um, they were pretty bad. But he was also into Amway. And one of the things you get when <laughs> into, you were, into it. Oh, into really it. into it. And I, the nice thing though is that I had heard this story from enough other enough other coworkers that I was ready for it when it finally happened to me. And I'm making it sound like some sort of some sort of felony happened, but <laughs> uh, no. What happened was uh, we would do movie nights, where basically you have to run the movie through the projector once to make sure it works and that the sound works and get it all synced up. And um, what when they do that, they just do it on like a Thursday night before the movies open on Friday, and all the employees can come and watch it at midnight because then you can show it legally. So it was always a way to get to see free movies. And I forget what we were seeing the preview of. I think there were two going that night. I think it was like Call the Conqueror or Wishmaster. Um, (laughs) Oh. Your your standards go down when movies are free, by the way. Yeah. Uh, But I remember going upstairs because it was taking forever um, to get this movie ready. I think it was like one in the morning. And I just wanted to go up to the projection booth, say, hey, what's going on? Is this going to start soon? And... My boss takes me aside and goes, hey, Mike, you're a pretty smart guy, right? And I, <laughs> I'd heard this story enough times that I know this is the opening salvo of an Amway pitch. And I just, in my brain, I'm just, there's like an internal scream. <laughs> and I just go, okay, I guess. And he's like, you know, Amway creates more millionaires than any other company in this country every year. And I go, oh, okay, that's nice. Also, my boss, I can't go, you know, that's a pyramid scheme, right? (laughs) Um, And he just starts launching into it. And in my brain, I'm constant. I'm it's like that version of my brain that's downloading every escape path all at once. (laughs) And now I'm going through it. It's like that bit in the Terminator where he's choosing a response to that guy at the hotel. It's like, how do I answer? How do I answer? How do I answer? Beep, 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 beep. And uh, the one, how, I, how long did you wait before you interrupted him, or did you try to wait for a pause and I, I feel? I waited for a pause. This is my boss, oh. and uh, so um, I went for. Well, if I were going to play a Fallout game, this would be one that would require a bit of a, a speech check <laughs> because, and this is a high risk speech Uh-oh. check where I'm going to get a pretty pretty decent um, uh, set of uh, experience points if this worked, and it worked. That oh. was the part that blew my fucking mind. I the argument I used was that um, I wanted to go to art school, and uh, I don't want money. Um, that <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that I bothered that, you. That I that I feel that if if money is too easy for me, that it will hurt my art. Well played. And as this is coming out of my mouth, he's I getting just, ready to do kung fu. Yeah, I'm just like. Oh, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. There's no. This is a stupid lie. This is a stupid lie. And he just goes, "I can respect that," <laughs> and, and walks away. And I'm like, "How did that fucking work? <laughs> this does what?" But yeah, it worked, and he never brought up Amway to me ever again because I guess I'm I have sort of an aesthetic existence where I'm I'm I'm. Skewing material goods so that I can have a pure art. And then you leveled up and got the bloody mess perk. I did. (laughs) I'm like, I think I just gained a level. (laughs) I don't know what just happened. Where you don't quite believe it. Where when it's coming out of your mouth, you're like, oh god, oh god. I've already started. I better finish this. But it worked. You you were so much more polite than I. I think in that instance, I would just uh, it would be about twenty seconds, and I would say no, thank you, and I would turn and walk away. I mean, oh. even if it was your boss, like they can't. He couldn't. He couldn't fire you for like not 
wanting to hear his Amway pitch. Well, he I already didn't... told you it was an Amway pitch. He but didn't try is, to couch your... it in part of your job. This was your first job, right? Uh, second job. Yeah, I'd be terrified. Yeah, I'd I nod, was. I'd nod and smile. Yeah. No, you don't know what... I mean, again, I was t- saying before, I didn't know that I couldn't get not fired for that. Mm-hmm. My entire uh-huh. idea of what a job is is based off watching movies. Yeah. And there's a lot of screamy <laughs> bosses in movies. Slavery. And, yeah, yeah <laughs> it really is. And I don't know that. I mean, the, the KFC thing that I mentioned before, they would throw what they called work parties, which is, hey, you want to do the shittiest part of your job and not get paid for it? Yeah. <sighs> Off the clock. That I actually did say no to. And, uh, but yeah, the guy had like his kid working in there cleaning stuff. And it's like the me of now is just like, no, 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 I'm calling the fucking state over this. <laughs> but back then I'm like, well, I guess if he's doing it, it can't be illegal. Well, this might be apocryphal, but someone who, uh, who did work at McDonald's at, in my, in my town during high school said that, uh, there were only two questions asked after the sort of the the application process was done. The interview was, "What's your T-shirt size?" and "Can you start this week?" Those were the two questions that were asked in the interview, which is quite possibly the easiest job interview you could have. Although I don't know if that's true. But what else are fifteen-year-olds going to, sixteen-year-olds going to answer? What are they going to? What? Why do you? Why would you care about what they would even? answer to it like no one's going to admit well i want to because i want to deal drugs out of the drive-thru <laughs> yeah. no one's going to say that during an interview so what does it matter asking them a question i can respect that they <laughs> 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 don't have brains yet <laughs> yeah you don't know to, to lie you just assume yeah. you know, and, but it's not also not the kind of job where you have to sort of your competency has to be sold almost anyone is competent enough to make a burger, but you, almost anyone. I will. Say, those jobs are fucking hard. No, they're not. I mean, they're they're hard, and the reason and they don't pay well, which is the reason why they assume that they just can have a disposable. Anyone can make a burger poorly. Yes, I... well, isn't, isn't the genius of McDonald's is that and fast food is that uh, they allow it so even people who do things poorly makes it still somewhat consistent of what they pump, they pump out. Well, that's our that's our number one product is consistency, right? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that there's a reason that people don't go there for fine cuisine. People don't like if you want to impress your they boss. Don't? Yeah, like if you like, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take my boss out to dinner and I'm gonna pitch this new whatever to them. You don't take them to McDonald's. You get a Mick glass of wine. <laughs> oh God, oh, I bet you that exists somewhere, probably in Australia. Tell no. me, Australian people. <laughs> I, I, hear- still, I stole that from an internet meme. Calm down. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> the McWine. McWine. But yeah, I just, I, it is, that is really fucking hard work and you get no respect for it. And it's not like. And the longer you stick around to acquire any skills that would become useful, the more your capital in society goes down. Like yeah. if you've worked at a McDonald's for five years, you're the scum of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the, like being a carny. It's yeah. like the way it's like you probably would just say you work at a restaurant that if you bring that sort of stuff up, because we really shit on fast food workers in terms of how oh, we yeah. treat them. And I think it's garbage. It's fucking hard work. Uh, these are people that never have a slow time. It's like there are, there's rush times and there's super rush times and it's fucking hard I worked there at KFC for only three months, and it was a nightmare. Yeah. And you come home, you feel like garbage, like you're laminated in grease. Exactly. Mm. And if you bring up what your job is, you get no respect for it. I tend to subscribe to the theory that there is no such thing as unskilled labor. Agreed. Yeah. Like, even if it's considered initial, like at face value, kind of shitty, easy labor, there's still components involved that I will never be able to consider because I don't have that frame of reference. I, thankfully, never had to work in fast food and never will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's- I, 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 there was the... Uh, it's funny because most of my perspective of this 
is and the people who I knew is from like high school. So it's oh, it's rural Oregon or whatever. So of course it's the teenagers doing that. As soon as I moved to the city, you realize that the people that are actually staffing the Taco Bell are not seventeen year olds. There are people that are in their in their thirties and forties and fifties that are working there. And so this is like this is not the sort of like Horatio Alger Bill Gates, we're getting so political, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, Bill Gates was like, you know, flipping burgers is an opportunity. And I'm like, well, it's not really an opportunity to some people. It's just what they can get, yeah. you know. Okay, so for, for everyone listening, too long, didn't read, eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mick Wine. Isn't that an Aerosmith song? Oh, it should Aerosmith be. Song? Oh, man. There was, I don't think there was any Aerosmith in Last Action Hero, no. though. There was no. Guns N' Roses. ACDC. ACDC. Yeah. The- Megadeth. It feels like a bingo card is being filled out right now. <laughs> boom, boom. So, uh, looking at some of the folks on oh, right. Patreon. <laughs> yeah, we were going to do that. I think that was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, Megan Jaquette asks, who makes the best ice cream? The best flavor? The worst? What fictional restaurant do you wish was real? Mm. Those are two different questions, I guess, right? Or oh, three yeah. different questions. So the ice best cream. ice cream. I'm not. I'm not a big ice cream guy. So you guys will have to fight that one out. You're not. Are you human? I just no. I just. <laughs> I have mild lactose intolerance, so oh. e- ice, usually eating ice cream just makes my stomach hurt. So, uh. but don't you think that some things are so good that they're worth the gastrological calamity that follows? Seven Eleven nachos. Well, like, yes. yes. Um, there's a lot of spicy chicken. The that only, I... That's the only thing I missed about America, by the way, was oh, like yeah. fake cheese that's never seen a cow. Oh. <laughs> so good. Yeah, see. It's, but... it's oil and chemicals is what oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's great. It was it was probably originally plastic of some kind, <laughs> yeah. but it's tasty. And it's you... just it's just melted down uh, plastic from like egg cartons is all it is. And I... dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, actually... I, I said, uh, like, I missed cheese when I was out, or cheese-like products when I was outside of the United States. One of, the, one of my favorite things about traveling is going to other places and trying weird ice cream. Mm. Like, uh, I lived in China for a little bit, and black sesame ice cream is, like, the most amazing thing Whoa. that you'll ever eat. What does that taste like? Well, black sesame. Well, but... think, like, black sesame seeds, but it's also, like, the pop of kind of syrupiness of ice cream. They mm. also had something called corn ice cream. Is Which, this based on the band? The new metal band? <laughs> it, it, tasted like, <laughs> it, it tasted like white people dreadlocks. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> matted hair. Um, it tastes like Bakersfield, California. No. Okay, but it was called corn ice cream. It's very but it, dry. You know what it tasted like? Captain Crunch Milk. Oh, oh nice. It was amazing. Nice. Oh, my God. That sounds wonderful. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Briars, uh, especially their vanilla bean. Not dryers. Not dryers. Never get dryers. Always briars. Briars. Yes, I know. Which one of those came first? Who knows? Did, was one of them trying to cash in on the other and go? You know, it's like, oh yeah, you can buy a magnet box VCR, as they said on that Simpsons episode. Magnet box and Sorny. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But it's kind of weird coincidence that they're both ice cream companies. But um, uh, Briars uh, Vanilla Bean is really good. It's one you can see the little <laughs> dots of vanilla in. I also like. I'm a huge fan of chocolate chip mint. Uh, oh yeah. Do you do the thing, I, I got kind of addicted to the thing where you buy a good vanilla ice cream and just buy lots of weird crap to put into it? Where you buy like caramel and peanuts and halva and I don't know. What about that uh, that kabuki uh, ja- chocolate shell? It's magic. It's the black. It's like black yeah. magic. It's like 
it, whatever it's whatever it's made out of it 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 uh, you pour it on it and it looks like syrup but it hardens yeah and so you get a little bit of a crunch when you put yeah, the thing through good. it i always think of that and this is a weird connection you ever see fire in the sky the <laughs> alien abduction movie yes. where they put that sheet over the guy and sprinkle stuff on it and it hardens around him yeah or i'm like oh it's like magic <laughs> <Chocolate> shell, shell. <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say because of the restaurant fictional restaurant question like anything on the promenade of ds9 the klingon restaurant oh klingon ice cream have you Klingon s- ice cream yeah have you got in it yeah blood. this is with blood it's There's just blood. frozen blood of course blood wine sorbet have you looked at the logo uh for that klingon restaurant it's pretty incredible no it's got a like a weird alien lobster like a heart <laughs> and then that klingon logo right in the middle it's- lobster heart klingon that guy was one of my favorite characters on that show. They never even named him, but he's just always singing something with his little pirate accordion, and he's just he just wants to be a chef. It's pretty great, and he basically has like a mall food court sort of corner. Mm-hmm. So I think my favorite fictional restaurant is the bulldog-shaped diner from Rocketeer. I think it's called the Bulldog, I oh, think. Oh, wow. And so it's one of those, those kitschy post-war things that's... At the edge of an airfield, which is why the characters are going there. And it's shaped like a giant bulldog in, like, in sitting position. Oh. And has an attic above it where they hide out from the, the, the mobsters. There's some, I love diners. There's something immediately appearing about, appealing about a diner that's already on an airfield. <laughs> where it's like everyone in here is a pilot. It's just, it feels so cool. Do you remember there's an episode of the X-Files called Jose Chung's From Outer Space? Mm-hmm. And there's this just fucking bizarre sequence where Mulder goes into a diner and keeps eating pieces of sweet potato pie <laughs> and every time he eats the piece of pie or like finishes the piece of pie he'll ask the the guy behind the counter a question and the guy doesn't speak he just sits there and kind of confusedly nods that diner and there's also a part where he's like talking to the pilot at one part as well but like that diner in particular I think I I want to I want it to exist I don't know if I'd ever walk in it though I don't I don't <laughs> like, remember that scene Although we almost might maybe need to do a single serving selection on just that episode. Oh, it's so good! That episode's that, amazing. Yeah, I would. Say, I like the Rashomon quality to that is great. <laughs> it's really good. I'd say the one that I would like to check out is there's an episode of Arrested Development where they go to the uh, little area of of town called Wee Britain, which yeah. is like the British <laughs> version of like Wait, this Chinatown. Is, is this for British eyes only? Is that yeah. the episode? Yeah, for yeah. British eyes only. Yeah. Um, and it's like you go into that part of, of town and you have to start driving on the left side of the road. <laughs> and there's a, that, uh, one transition area where people are like, and almost hit each other was trying to go on the left side of the road. And everyone's really British there. And there's an American themed restaurant in Wee Britain. I forget what it's called. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Michael Bluth goes there with the girl that he's dating, played by Charlize Theron, who is kind of like the owner of Wee Britain. And the American themed restaurant, he has a thing of French fries, donuts, and a big gulp for <laughs> <are> his meal. <laughs> and everything it is like the kitschiest garbage all over the walls, and it just it's wonderful. And as awful as it is, and the fact that I would probably be you know, cutting decades off my life if I ate there. I'm like, I, I would try it. <laughs> I have to admit, there that's is, my kind of garbage. There is actually an American restaurant near the town that I live in, in Sweden. And I'm terrified of it. Like, I, I think they basically serve what you're describing. And I'm oh, really afraid to go in. This like, is what Australian people think of Outback Steakhouse? <laughs> probably. Yeah. And it's like open at weird times. Like, it'll be open at like 
two in the afternoon, and then you won't see it open for three months. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. like what did they do? It's a Swedish drug front. Yeah, basically. That's what I was thinking. With, yeah. with milkshakes. <laughs> like, <laughs> whatever, whatever kind of American stuff is contraband in Sweden, I don't know what that would be. But imagine, how good does a milkshake have to be that you're like totally cool with it being a front for like a methamphetamine operation? It's got to be... No, a mediocre milkshake. I, I'm from rural Washington State. Like, meth was everywhere. Like, I probably bought a milkshake in a place where they might have been dealing meth out the back, actually. Yeah, I just figure, if you're not shooting me, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I, but, wow, I just we came across like a callous asshole just now. <laughs> but when I, I was working at a bookstore years ago, um, you take out the trash in the back, and occasionally you'd see a drug deal go down, and there's that brief moment of, oh, oh. And then they realize you don't give a shit, and then they just go back to whatever they were doing, soliciting X, Y, Z, or mm. doing all sorts of illicit whatever. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Um, I was far more freaked out by the time I walked back there, and there was a skunk at the bottom of the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> that was. I'm like, I'm coming back later. I'll go out there for the drug dealers, but you, you, my friend. Was the skunk trying to deal drugs is the question. Oh, he's saying he's a junkie? Yeah. I should have called the cops on that skunk. Skunk, skunk junkie. Oh. A skunkie. I mean, I, all I know about skunks are what I learned from cartoons. So that skunk is probably a sex offender. Wait, you've never been you've never been sprayed by a skunk before? No. Oh, okay. No. Have you? Uh, well, my dog was sprayed by a skunk, and he came inside the house, and so uh, therefore we all smelled like skunk for days. Bad times. It's terrible. It happens. They're kind of a Pokemon if you think about it. <laughs> I mean, do they do they level up into a into a more a fearsome monster there's like a weird factory thing that shoots stink on their back i want like within the next 50 years there to be like a special new branch of linnaean taxonomy that's like pokemon (laughs) (laughs) if if it isn't if it hasn't been done yet it's going to for sure armadillo is also kind of a pokemon a little bit armadillos pangolins I think they're called the little... What's your criterion for what's Pokemon? Just that it has a seems to have a weapon or a defense? Or a little animal that has a... Weird armored shell. Kind of cute and has, yeah, a shell and maybe a bit of an element. Yeah, yeah. Skunks like... are definitely, what, Earth? I have no idea how Pokemon I, are. I don't know. Isn't, isn't the, po- the Pokemon's, like, got to be a metaphor for growing up, though? I thought it was for, right. a, a, for legal dogfighting. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, what was the name of that football player who went to prison? Vic. Michael oh, Michael Vic. Vic. Yeah, Michael Vic was kind of a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Pitbull, Pitbull! Yeah, Pit- fight him! <laughs> Get him! I choose <laughs> you! Oh, oh, my God. Uh, he should rot in prison. What else? Yeah. <laughs> What else do we have, Mike? Okay, so we, <laughs> we kind of we wandered there. <laughs> we kind of wandered off the rails <laughs> there. That's fine. It's... Ice cream! Ice ah! cream. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Red Sonia's chosen male says, wants us to talk about the gravity of a writer-artist portraying an established silly character in a serious, dramatic light. Hmm. And uh, also disturbing content in children's cartoons Example, the Brave Little Toaster's suicide oh, God. and uh, Air Conditioner's mental breakdown. Jeez. Yeah, those movies were way darker than you remember. Did you guys ever see Brave Little Toaster? Yes. Yeah, a million years ago. Oh, also, God. the vacuum cleaner sucks up his own cord in there, and that's also fucking terrible. Oh, God, that's like that's like some David Cronenberg shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like human centipede. But well, there, was, there was plenty of... The uh, brave little centipede. There was plenty of... Um... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Gross. I do what I can. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jeff Goldblum. 
But I mean, we had a whole episode about Don Bluth, and yeah, Don Bluth say. is the the living embodiment of all of this stuff, where a dog can have a vision of dog hell, and right. I mean, pretty much all of the Land Before Time. I mean, that movie is great, but that movie is all about racism and monsters trying to kill you and ugly crying <laughs> and it is it's a beautiful sad dark mess and i love it and the balls of releasing that uh in direct competition with a disney film is so admirable to mm-hmm. me and kicking disney's ass i think it was going up against oliver and company oh wow <laughs> so i mean that is crazy that was definitely Disney's Nadir. Uh, by the way, I uh, because I think I said this, we were talking about peak TV before, I totally misused Nadir. Nadir's the low. Zenith is the high. Zenith is the high. Sorry, that's my correction. Uh, Larry Brunswick asks, ABBA, great band or the greatest band? Uh, they're Swedish, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we have an expert in the room. Don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. You must be an expert on everything Swedish. I'm, I'm convinced that Sweden does have an intelligence service, and there's like two guys. That... <laughs> Are they the two guys from ABBA? <laughs> <laughs> then we better say it's great. Oh, Agents Her? of ABBA, and it's an acronym. <laughs> So I the the Mamma Mia movies are ABBA songs, right? They're yes, the, are they? that's I've not seen either of those two things. I assume there's a big ABBA resurgence, but weren't they sort of their disco time popularity? I'm, I am so this is one well, area where I just have no. Uh, I think their real strength with. is that they know how to make an earworm. Ah, yeah. every one of their songs is incredibly catchy and super cheesy, and even when they're sad, they're kind of happy. <laughs> and I think that there's something about it that. You immediately kind of find the groove in those songs really fast. Wait, did they do Dancing Queen? Is that, oh, their, is yeah. that their big Hell one? Hell yeah, they did. That's so Dancing guy. Queen, who's been voted, I know by the state of Hawaii, as the uh, the number one gay theme song, because I was there in Hawaii when they had their, I don't know why, because Hawaii's the gayest state, I guess? Well, why have, were you doing this, Hawaii? They've got a rainbow on their driver's license. This is true. They were like, oh yeah, Abba's Dancing Queen. So there's something to be admired for that. Who I was mean, holding this contest? Was this was this like the gay community or was this like Ted Cruz? I'm, it's probably the you know it's probably the tourism board, you know. Right? I, I don't know. I don't know. Gayest I, state, gayest band? Or gay anthem. They weren't the gayest it band. It feels they like the they're they're anthem. trying to get narrow and narrow and trying to weaponize gay at some point. <laughs> they're like, how do we get the purest strain? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. You have YM. You have uh, you have the village people. You have YMCA mm-hmm. and maybe in the navy. Of I guess. course, That's in right the navy. There. But which? But 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 not, those aren't really anthems, I guess. Well, they're anthemish, but they're. Yeah. I mean, anything can can be repurposed. Somewhere over the rainbow is a gay anthem that wasn't written as a gay anthem, but people saw something of their personal experience in it and made it one. I mean, and there's a certain point where artist intent doesn't even really matter anymore. Mm. Wait, was We Are the Champions, uh, was that a, a considered a stealthy gay anthem as well? Well, it's done by Freddie Mercury. I don't right. know how stealthy Freddie Mercury can be, and he's pretty fucking amazing. So <laughs> my answer to the main question, though, is no, they're not the greatest band because Queen <gasps> is the greatest band. Oh. Boom! He just dropped the bomb. We've already, well, we've already established I'm that. I'm going to dissent because I, I have to... At some point in the future, I have to apply for Swedish citizenship, so I'm going to say it's the greatest. Oh, okay. <laughs> answered. Asked. So the security service heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Who's on, who's, on this, who's on the American desk here at the Swedish CIA? <laughs> they just happen to be. They're just listening into our podcast now, like two a week from now, basically. They got to wait for it. 
And uh, Gus actually had something to say about what we just kind of mentioned. He said, you spent a lot of time, this is on the Highlander episode, talking about Queen's soundtrack music, and you never mentioned Flash Gordon. You know you want to. Uh, It's a terrible song to karaoke, too. Oh, it's... Because half of the song is, like, sound effects and, like... But it's also, again, (laughs) it's a Freddie Mercury song. You should not... It's like... A Freddie Mercury song is kind of like, you know, I want to attempt what Evil Knievel did. (laughs) It's like, that guy did it. There's no reason I can't. And you're like, no, there's every reason that you can't. He just... The... Generally speaking, Queen covers are pretty bad, and oftentimes you realize all the things that Freddie Mercury is doing with his voice and how you can't do it. And the best <laughs> covers of Queen music are instrumental because the only thing that can replicate that is a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I'd go on record here thinking I think the best Queen cover ever done was Nine Inch Nails did a version of Get Down, Make Love, which was very dark. Very different, and then, but which was strange about it, and it was very meta at a certain point because this is, you know, this is industrial, so it's all about samples and loops and stuff. At a certain point in time of the song, he takes the entire Queen song and, in the span of like four seconds, increases the speed so you hear the entirety of the Queen Get Down Make Love song. So, within that song, there is Get Down Make Love inside of it, (laughs) which is it's weird. That sounds bizarre. I've never heard anyone do that at all for you can you know you can sample an old song you can do the kid rock thing where you make a song about Sweet Home Alabama that has the song Sweet Alabama inside of it but still in, has In 20 kid years rock there's going to be all over it. In 20 years there's going to be a even more like ridiculous artist who's singing a song about si- singing kid rock song Oh god listening no. to kid rock song who is listening to the uh, Leonard Skinner all really, night long I no, I, we are in the darkest timeline if that happens. <laughs> I really want to hear that now, though. Not not the Kid Rock thing. I don't give a shit about oh, that. Oh, the Get Down, Make Love? Yeah, that sounds yeah. really good. I don't. I can't think of any other, other than the terrible one from Highlander 5, I can't think of any other Queen, uh, oh. queen cover that I can... Occasionally, somebody on one of those um, televised song contest will attempt it and you hear the opening chorus and you're like oh no, no don't do no. it man it's like that scene in boogie nights where uh, don Cheadle sees that hillbilly guy about to take on the guy with the uh, is robbing the place and he's gonna probably pull out a gun he's looking at him he's like no no don't don't do it don't that's what i feel like it's like don't stop 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 this is gonna end badly don't you see how bad an idea this is and uh yet it always is and the best you can get is i guess that was okay Again, Freddie Mercury is a Pokemon who has, who attained the highest level. <laughs> Wait, where did we get there? <laughs> He's a cute animal that has a obvious I mean, he defense. Is, he is the he is the last final form. He's like a Super Saiyan. There, um, there we go. He is now was, you're mixing metaphors of Japanese children's cartoons. Was he here. ever blonde? <laughs> no. Now I like come trying to figure I, out. I think his mustache is the thing, which is the final part of that form. <laughs> Yeah, I think once he got into the '80s, the mustache was a version of. <laughs> he would shave and then just go out of the room and go, and he would be back again. Oh yeah, <laughs> much more melodic version of screaming. He would probably be... <laughs> See, I didn't try to approach his voice. Um, like... I love the the Flash Gordon soundtrack. Yeah, I think um, it's great. That movie is a lot of fun, but what makes it classic is the queen soundtrack that's the reason we remember it because it has this kind of cool pulpy uh look to it where it sort of is high budget trying to look low budget but that soundtrack elevates it i mean 
queen elevates everything that they touch. Everything they touch feels bigger and more grandiose and more crazy and cheesier and more important and, but also kind of tongue in cheek and awesome. And everything about that soundtrack is great. Like the, the wedding theme, the rock wedding theme is pretty fucking amazing. (laughs) Everything about that soundtrack is pretty great. And sampling like Brian blessed screaming (laughs) into the, is pretty great too. I mean, everything about that, you can tell that these guys were having a fucking blast. After doing that. Uh, after you know, I've, I saw Flash Gordon a couple times, uh, and then I had a couple years ago. I where there was a dual dual billing where we watched Flash Gordon, and then afterwards we watched Flesh Gordon, which Whoa. that was an experience. Um, this the softcore porn parody of uh, <laughs> of that. But uh, I, in my memory, I have same dif- cast. I yes, exactly. I have difficulty. <laughs> remembering which scenes are from Barbarella and which scenes are from Flash Gordon because a lot of them are very similar to me. They seem very much the same type of production. I think both of them have like winged people in them, don't they? Yes. Yeah, they definitely do. Have that kind of crazy, plasticky kind of... Winged is yeah. one of those adjectives that you always have to kind of stress or it sounds It's like funky. even when... It always sounds a little pretentious. Yeah. The winged. <laughs> it's like... True. Push, like saying learned. Uh, pushing my... Learned. Uh, pushing my pinky back down. <laughs> it does feel a bit like that, but <laughs> it feels a winged. bit like you're being a pretentious... It's like our, our friend uh, Joe Pretty said that you can't mention filmmaker Antonioni without feeling like a bit of a pretentious prick. I think this is like that too, where you're just kind of like, oh, there's no way to do this without being pretentious, so you might as well just steer into it. Just own it. <laughs> Learned. Learned. You can only say that while looking down to the bridge of your nose at something. You have to tilt your head back. Uh. Sorry. Well, so, well uh, I was just going to say that not not five feet from where we're sitting a couple nights ago, we had a movie night here and there was a bunch of kids from the neighborhood and a lot of them had never seen Miyazaki for the first time. This Ooh. is their seeing, we saw, we, we played Totoro and there was like 11 kids down here right on the other side of the wall from Valverde. And I want to tell you, there was a substantial disappointment that I had. Part of it could be just chalked up to you get like kids of that age in the same room and they're not going to be able to sit still for anything sort of thing. But I think that children... This is totally get off my lawn. I think that (laughs) Pixar has poisoned kids to think that the pacing of movies has to be at a certain clip to where they can't pay attention to it. Because there's one thing you could say is Totoro is a very slow movie. It's a very beautiful movie. It is. There's a lot of feeling to it and there's a lot of wonder to it. But it is not Incredibles. It's not... It's not at 100 miles per hour immediately within the first minute of the movie. Um, And so there were a couple kids that were like it's too slow and ah. i was like i was like i you just you stopped watching this movie and it probably would have been one of the best movies you've ever seen in your short little munchkin life well i think it's <laughs> a sort of thing with slower stopped. movies you kind of have to separate kids one by one and make them watch it because the influence of each other is going to make them act up even more and i oh, didn't, get off my lawn <laughs> a million years ago when we did the miyazaki panel i think you brought up the idea of the fact that Miyazaki really likes doing uh, empty, sort of just filling space mm-hmm. to give a sense of, and it gives everything a bigger sense of gravitas, and maybe that's harder culturally for American kids to get used to. I mean, uh, I wasn't a kid when I first saw it, so uh, yeah, you know, me I, neither. And and I mean, when I, the first time I tried to watch the American edited version of Nausicaa, 
which was supposed to be edited to make it more palatable to American audiences. I couldn't get through it the first time. So mm. I totally, it could just be, mm. it could just be like, oh, well, with the uh, He-Man cartoons and 80s action movies, you're just, your sensibilities are off. But I was a little bit like, you missed your chance, kids. <laughs> but I think it, it's changing overall. Is that At the time that the original Star Wars came out, there were complaints that it was too fast. Huh. Too fast? And, yeah, that it was too fast. Mm. It actually moves at a, a brisk pace, but it doesn't move the way that a, a Star Wars movie would move now, where something is always happening. Everything is kind of moving forward. Action beat every, you know, 10 minutes or so. Um, but, I mean, really, it takes about 40 minutes for Star Wars to really get started. Han Solo doesn't show up till like, 45 minutes in. Um, they They're... They don't leave Tatooine for a very long time yeah. by today's standards. I think it moves by fast and it lets these locations breathe a little bit, but people aren't used to that. I think that the way to change it is just to make movies different and to space them out. Then make some slow stuff in with your fast stuff. Don't make everything all the same way, but you know, change kids' palettes by exposing them to more stuff that doesn't move at a super fast pace. And I always kind of wonder too, it's like Superman the movie from 1978 Superman doesn't show up until an hour into that movie. Hmm. Um, there's some amazing things in that movie, but how would a kid respond to Superman, the movie now knowing that it takes that long to get to Superman? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I had a really, I couldn't sit through uh, citizen Kane the first time my grandpa tried to show it to me. And so I just, I really just do chalk that up to like, you just have to build up your sort of a, a ability to appreciate different types of story. Visual storytelling has to just be built on it. You just, it's, it's it's a skill that has to be built. And certainly, I think if, yeah, if this was a movie theater and if you were shuttling those kids into a dark room, closed in, mm -hmm. we're not leaving until the movie's over, it could have been, it yeah, obviously fine. would have been a different experience. Not so so the, uh, the Casey Doran Clockwork Orange movie theater for children. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Strapped in. Tie their eyes open. It takes me to kind of an interesting thing when you uh, mention the like skill of getting or developing patience for mm -hmm. things like movies. And it reminds me of a sort of YouTube video that explored video game literacy as any other sort of literacy skill that you would develop. And it's something that I think with film is something people maybe should develop too. I have sort of older relatives who are very earnestly interested in certain video games, but the me the mechanics, they just don't have the literacy to hold a controller or navigate the space that they're operating in the game. And it it's sad because they would totally play that game otherwise. And I wonder if there's a lot of movies that are like that where people just don't have the sort of skill set to deal with, okay, I need to be patient right. for this part. Oh, I might want to pay attention at this part. And you just kind of buzz through the rest of it because you're not really going, okay, I need to look at these parts. That sure. literacy isn't there. I've, yeah. heard, I've heard the same thing about comic books too, that uh, there are people that look at a comic book and just can't process. Yeah. My the wife the being one of them. Yeah. I, who was very uncomfortable with the the flow of the storytelling because she has a difficult, she's difficulty telling it in a linear style because I think she gets confused where the bubbles which bubble should be read first, mm -hmm. basically. Right. And that's something that you just have to learn. I mean, you just and have to There's a language. I mean, and again, I've, I've had to learn things within comic books. Like one of the things that I learned over the last few years is how to read manga. And you just have to retrain your eye to read right to left. And, and at first I had a hard time doing that, and especially page transitions when they turn and going up to the top right mm -hmm. one rather than the top left one. And there's but, there's an interesting question of accessibility with, okay, mm -hmm. well, they just need to learn that skill. But 
you know, if we're teaching anyone else any other type of literacy, like how to read, we grade things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we'll mm-hmm. make things more accessible where that literacy can learning that type of literacy could be adapted to being graded down where, yeah, it's hard for you to follow. I don't know, Alan Moore. Like I had trouble reading Watchmen for that reason, because the the word bubbles like, OK, one word bubble goes above another and that indicates when someone's talking and so on. But if you start with something a bit easier for yourself, you can find things where literally the lettering and the way the bubbles are and the sequential storytelling is a lot easier for people. Sure, of course. And then like the question is, how do you develop like a curriculum for them to learn it? And I have no idea where this is going anymore. I, no, I was re- by something you said before, like the idea of a literacy of the mechanics of video games, because it was one thing that you can say, I was just uh, this couple of nights ago, I was playing like some Mega Man 2, a game that I had rented and played enough times over a weekend that I had been able to beat it and then started to get the flow where this used to happen with games. You start to get a flow where you beat it, you still want to keep playing it, and then you you hone your skill so you can Mm -hmm. start doing a lot of things more reliably. Um, And this is sort of under the umbrella of Nintendo hard where there was a difficulty curve to games and there was a lot more punishment for failure, and then you just had to try at it a lot more. Mm-hmm. A game that would be produced in the 2018, usually the the sort of language and the, the mechanics of introducing someone to what's going to happen in a game, how to control it, and where you're supposed to go is, uh, is, is much better thought out and much better executed now. It's a lot better, but it's also much more spoon-fed to you. Of course. And that's, and like, but, it, and back in the days of Nintendo hard where you just would die over and over again until you figured it out. Mm-hmm. Imagine how anxiety inducing that would be for someone who never played video games before yeah. and are basically going, well, you're just inherently bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, if you look at what a controller looked like when you played Mega Man 2 versus what an Xbox One or PlayStation 4 controller looks like, where, I mean, you look at the thing, you've got a D-pad, start, select, A, B, those are your only buttons, and that anything you would do in an old Nintendo game was going to use those buttons. And you look at it now, um, you have two different um, control sticks, you've got a D-pad, you've got bumpers on top, you have trigger buttons, you've got like six buttons on the top of it, mm-hmm. plus a start and select, probably a thing that connects your wireless controller to the game console. There's so much going on there. And then miscellaneous bits of food. Yes. <laughs> and, but to hand that controller to the first time to an adult who says, I've heard good things about this game, Bioshock, I want to see what this is like. Exactly. That they have that in their hand. And it's just like every one of my fingers is touching a button. Mm-hmm. And I am kind of frozen by the the weight of all these choices and will I be able to hit these buttons while not looking at this controller? Mm-hmm. And it, I could see that because then again, you look at a, a video game cabinet, like the one Casey has, what is that? That is like six buttons plus a joystick. And that's a lot more accessible to somebody. And yeah, or even what I think most people who are, who are of age were introduced to in a bar or a bowling alley or something. You mm-hmm. add up space invaders where you had a joystick and a button which mm-hmm. is not really difficult to figure out what your hands need to be doing for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, the 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 sort of the increase in complexity of the mechanics of a game, of the story of a game, of, of the interaction with a game has obviously um, has obviously increased the complexity of the controlling it. I think there's a possibility if if VR can make the transition that that could actually draw a lot of people who would never. Um, play a video game if if it's just controlling two things with your hands or yeah. just two or, things with a button on your hands and just your body mm-hmm. that might or even <clears throat> something where as 
as just basic computer literacy starts to get better, maybe instead of everyone playing consoles, there'll be more of a shift to PC gaming, where if someone can just press a button and click a mouse, okay, maybe that might yeah. be a little more helpful. I, I think that I think seeing a, fi- a five-year-old that's just now coming into having some interest in playing games, the touchscreen on tablets is... Yeah. Touchscreen on tablets, I think, is probably the way that you would get grandma to play something. Right. Because mm-hmm. touchscreen on tablets, it's a completely flexible UI, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you if all you needed was a jump button, like, I think the there's a Mario game where... The only thing you end up doing with Mario is jump because he's running the whole way. You just need to press one button. That's a great way to get someone to learn how to be able to control a character yeah. on a screen. But wasn't this the triumph of the Nintendo Wii? Was that it took oh, of course. all of these people who wouldn't normally play games. Like you would buy a Nintendo Wii for a retirement home. That is the only console I've ever seen in a retirement home mm-hmm. that you, you wouldn't see like a PlayStation 3 in there. But the idea of I'm playing tennis with this thing I have in my hand and there's buttons on there, but not so many that it's intimidating to somebody who didn't grow up with this because we all kind of have the transitional forms of what these controllers are as we move up. We all grew up with a simple uh, console that got less simple. But again, that wasn't just like the physical way it was constructed. It was, there's a lack of risk. Like, it's people playing Mm. Wii Bowling or something. It's not you trying to navigate this character through this fictional environment, and if you don't jump right, you die. Mm. And I think that the low-stakes nature of that had a lot to do with it, along with just the way the Wii was constructed. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's crazy when that stuff really works. Um, It's kind of strange that they didn't keep, to the, I mean, they've done a couple things. They did the sort of touchscreen tablet controller with the Wii U, and the the version that they're doing right now. What is it? The, the Switch. Switch? Yeah. The Switch has a kind of look to it that is where I guess you could say PlayStation and um, Xbox. Those are for your sort of traditional hardcore gamer consoles. Um, and I look at the Nintendo consoles and it seems like they're like, no, we're going to be the crossover hit console. Yep. We're going to be the one that isn't for that crowd, but your grandma might see it and go, I want to try that. I mean, that was always the real strength of Nintendo is that they still concentrated very hard on party games, Mm -hmm. games that you could have multiple people looking at split screens, doing something like Mario Kart or Mario Party or any of these games that were about inviting another human being into your house. That was the cool thing about Nintendo is it started as like a playing card company or something, didn't it? Yeah. Toy makers and game makers, they've been the whole time. But I will say to Nintendo's credit of keeping that kind of layer of simplicity that they achieved they kind of clawed back with the Wii is that the Joy-Cons while they can be combined into a controller that looks more or less like a PlayStation or Xbox controller they can uh, they also can be broken off as just a very simple joystick and two button controller Mm -hmm. that is what you could pass to someone who'd be like oh there's only two buttons so I know where my thumbs go right Mm -hmm. so they, they you're right they do they have sort of encapsulated that whole that whole idea of, well, you could take it back to a more simple, strip it down. Hmm. So it's easier easier for a kid to learn or easier for a grandma to learn. Well, they've always made their stuff colorful and approachable, I'd say. Um, I don't like that we live in a world where 
I have to choose between colorful and approachable and fun and sort of dark and gritty and serious hardcore gaming stuff. Yeah. It feels like I have to buy multiple consoles and I've never been willing to do that. And it just breaks my fucking heart every time a new Mario Kart game comes out and I know I'm not going to buy it, but I'm like, oh, it looks like so much fun. And that's the sad thing is like all of the really good storytelling is the dark, gritty kind of thing. And yeah, it's the, hard fu- to the fun mechanics are still being are being innovated with Nintendo. Uh, so I have to put, we may not have much, much more time to talk, but I wanted to say this because this is I'm making a, an admission here, which is I think we had talked about open world games. We did that a couple of years back. Yeah. And uh, um, you had mentioned to me recently, you're like, I don't, I, you know, the last time I turned on my Xbox to play something that wasn't uh, like a DVD was like Fallout 4. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I am finding myself, and this is partly just like the rigors of like, oh, I'm a parent, so I don't have much time. Um, the things that I end up playing now are... I'm fully encapsulated in a slice of the demographic where there are games that are made for you like games 25 years ago that were of these mechanics. Plenty of people are making new games that are like this. So I'll, I, you know, there's a one called dead cells that is basically a Castlevania game. <laughs> it's a new, it's a new flashier, more interesting type of Castlevania game that rewards you playing it over and over again and be like, it's a two player is a 2d a platformer or whatever. That's not, this is not, you know, destiny or whatever the 14, the 14 and 15 year olds are playing. I find myself going for those games and not trying to approach the sort of big, new tentpole uh releases and i think like am i worried i'm just gonna be like am i gonna be stuck in this time loop forever where i'm playing stuff that reminds me of being 16 or 17 years old or uh you know when was it i did feel like a couple years back we were there we were up we were still there with it mm-hmm. and now i'm not with it Mike. <laughs> now you don't know what it is yes. anymore <laughs> oh it's, yes it's frightening and scary to me <laughs> <laughs> i was about to quote star trek six this just now i saying you know have we become so old and inflexible that that constitutes a joke <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it does it does feel that there are a couple of franchises that i do still really like i mean i like the fallout games a lot um, Red Dead Redemption 2 is very interesting to me. I like Rockstar stuff. Um, I don't play them that much. I like a game that lets me dive into it and replay it fanatically for about two years. And then I just stop after I run out of things to do in that world. And then I might not play a game again for like a year. Fallout yeah. is very much like that. Yeah. Yeah. You just hit that wall where, okay, okay, I've Skyrimmed all the Skyrims. And Skyed all the rims. Are, these are well-skyed rims. And you kind of feel like, okay, well, I'm the leader of literally every faction in the world. Um, I'm an unstoppable juggernaut who can one-punch a dragon. And I don't really have any quests left. And you have 500,000 wheels of cheese. Oh, God. <laughs> All but, of the cheese. I have cornered the market on cheese <laughs> and buckets. So, Mike, but you're not the type of uh, you're not the type of game player that would play like a Super Meat Boy or something. What what games do you own on your console that aren't the ones that we know you talk like Bioshocks or Open World or whatever? Not a lot. Hey. I mean, I had on my Xbox 360. I would play a lot of things like you know uno on there by the way the most toxic people on on xbox live (laughs) play uno you drop a draw four on somebody you will be called all sorts of horrible slurs you haven't heard since ninth grade and you're like oh wow 
that's kind of, well, that's really offensive, but it's also kind of anachronistic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, are you a time traveler? But, um, yeah, it's, I like sort of simple things like that, that I can sort of plug in and do left for dead was a series I really liked yeah. because it was kind of low. Um, that's 10 years old now. It is more they, than 10 years. They old. never wow. made another one, but I mean, it was a zombie game where you went through a series of like five levels with other humans and you teamed up and you had to not be an asshole because you, the game was built that you would need to rescue each other at various points and that you would be helpless in some scenarios and you would need other people to save you in a timely fashion. But it was a commitment to play that game of like 40 minutes mm. that you would get in, play it and you'd play with people that you hadn't played with before. And Xbox live is actually pretty good at giving up, thumbs up or thumbs down to various people you're like that guy's racist don't want to play with him that person's nice <laughs> and you can they get, get tagged and after Tag. yeah after a while you just recognize people on your friends list of just these are pleasant people to play left for dead with mm -hmm. and they're pretty good at it and they're not gonna it's not like a racist british kid from at, <laughs> who's up at three in the morning and you're like whoa kid are you old enough to play this <laughs> um and it was a lot of fun, and but the, the commitment was so low that I would play it a lot more often. Hmm. Uh, because if I was going to play through a campaign on Left for Dead, it meant like at the most the, an hour. It sounded kind of like the question was though is that we're getting old, and yeah. that that game yeah. is old. And I'm what games do you play, Roslyn? Like are that's, you... and I feel like I'm kind of conceding to your point a bit because I'm thinking back, and the most recent things I. I have... mean, I know they don't have video games in Sweden. Yeah, they, just, they don't haven't got them yet. They have the highest high speed internet, but no electricity. <laughs> yeah. um, I, well, they're just now getting the Pac-Mans that we have got, thrown away. They got that on a, a monkey's paw wish, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I actually have been rebuying a lot of old games. And oh, yeah. as yeah. a result of that, like nothing I've bought has been fairly new. Um, I'm trying to think. Portal, I think, was the last like newish thing that I got off of Steam, which is really sad. There's a lot of little free That's to play That's not newish. <laughs> hey man, it's not 25 years old. Okay, it's not. It's it, not. It wasn't made on a console that was made that had parts made in the 1980s. That's See, for sure. okay, I win. Yes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, Fallout. A lot of the sort of sandboxy open world stuff is what I really enjoy. Mm. I I played two or three. Like one of the first like games that I regularly played very often was in the same universe as Skyrim. It's called Morrowind. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I was obsessed with Morrowind for yeah. a while, but that's 2003. Yep. Yeah. Um, the most the newest stuff I've been playing were like little things on Steam that I could get for free, like a Zen plant simulator. Cool. <laughs> Where, like, are you I, curating the plant or are you the plant? I think my plants are dead now. But <laughs> so it's like oh. a Tamagotchi thing where you got to check in and exactly. water them. And yeah, trim you the basically get off. a seedling a week and you breed succulents, like little cacti looking things. And it's really nice and relaxing, but it's definitely not a modern, like, huge released game to speak of well steam is an amazing platform for that which i know yeah. mike mike doesn't doesn't use the i'm a PC dirty platform. console gamer yeah you're so. a peasant i don't own a television <laughs> no. so it's a computer or nothing yeah. right now steam is great because you know if you wanted to um the the range is any modern game you know like the the shadow of war the new mordor game or whatever is going to be there as well as they're going to re-release the old sonic games on yeah. on sega genesis you know sega collection all of that entire spectrum will be on steam but the i'm, I'm also seeing in the last few console generations are doing things like let's re-release an older game mm -hmm. remastered like yeah. they did it with skyrim they did it with the bioshock games they did it with the final fantasy games back in the 
PlayStation days. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we're all getting old. I think that basically answers your question. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not really, I never was with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was always kind of a nerd. I was either 10 years too late. Or ten, fifteen years too late. Well, there's, there's 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 also some bit of there's also some bit of beauty about the idea of waiting to play something until five, six, seven yeah. years after it's released because one, you're not gonna play, you're not gonna pay out the nose for to buy it, and then two, as it seems the case these days with uh, the new newfangled games, as there are usually at, at the front at the outset they're loaded with all sorts of sort of monetization schemes Ugh. that are there to milk as much money when it's popular as possible. And now the trend is that after you know there's enough usually enough fan outcry or the the uh, the people are sort of migrating to something else they start eliminating those mm-hmm. altogether. So it's almost like if you wait like a year or two, you're probably going to have a better experience with right. the game as... and all the bugs as yeah. well. Yeah, like... but I've always been kind of on the outside. I mean, I like video games, but video games are not my big thing. I've always been a comic book guy primarily. So when I went to Retro Gaming Expo with you and I saw you talking to both, you know, Nathan Martin and Kinsey later and mm-hmm. to me it's like listening to Jordy LaForge talk. <laughs> <laughs> where I have enough context clues that I can kind of figure out the basis of what he's saying, but I'm like I've I'm so not in this world. <laughs> I real I I get the basis of it. And they mention a lot of games that everyone knows and has played and I'm like I think I heard that name once. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I mean I like video games, but I've never been a video game guy. And whenever I Mike, go back and not a video game guy, That's yeah. When be your... when I go back and play Epitaph. older, <laughs> it is. <laughs> when I go back and play older games and stuff, I realize how much my my skills and my memorization of these things have atrophied. Like we replayed Contra together mm-hmm. a few oh, years wow. ago, and we were dying left and right. And I used to be, <laughs> play that that game alone, and we ran out of even our thirty lives code like halfway through the game. And I used to be able to do that all the time. And I'm like, I, I mean, the kind of gamer that I am versus, you know, the fact that the game that was Nintendo hard was the standard for a long time. That right. Games existed to get your next quarter where nowadays it's more of an immersive experience. And I have become accustomed to the immersive experience where like I play through LA noir and I fuck up something long enough that the game just takes pity on me <laughs> and just says, do you want to skip through this? To the... And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I kept getting run over by the bulldozer. And uh... you know, that also brings up an interesting point. Uh, uh, we could talk about video. I could talk about video games forever. The idea of the easy mode. Oh, so this is also an accessibility thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, some games, just by their very nature, are difficult because there are type of games that are more difficult. Um, like you, I, I, I don't think anyone in this room, even, not even me, plays like hardcore strategy games like Total War or whatever or Civilization. Oh, I um, play Civilization. Oh, do you play? Like, yeah, I love those it. games at the higher level of AI can be very Rarely difficult, crazy. Yeah. Yes, um, but and, uh, or also some games that require reflexes and whatnot. Um, there is a there is a faction of people who just aren't really that capable of video games but they still want to experience a video game mm-hmm. so that's the sound a... of my hand going up by the way oh. <laughs> so to have say, an... you just like lost an arm yeah <laughs> <laughs> to have an easy mode or a very easy mode that allow people to to experience the game itself without being punished yeah. because they're not as capable is something that's being lost because most people are targeting most developers when they think of a game they think of i, I, I like the game that i like the most and at the skill level that me or people who love this are are playing at, and they sort of forget that sometimes you could have someone who likes games, but they're not incredibly proficient at video gaming or as a thing. Super into the concept. 
Yeah. But yeah. can't. Yeah, it doesn't have the technical proficiency. Yeah, I'm at, at best a mediocre gamer. And uh, also I, on your epitaph, mediocre gamer, mediocre yeah. gamer. <laughs> See, it's the level of investment. Like yeah, if we're yeah. talking about old games again, like I, I was really into the concepts. Like it's a space opera, Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. I got to the point where I could play it in insanity mode because yeah. I worked my way through all of the different levels. And like I learned, you know, the that that level of accessibility was really nice because I was able to go through the story and play in easy mode and get really accustomed to it, and then you could start challenging yourself if you wanted to. So. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a rare beast as the kind of person who uh, uh, plays it and then takes the same game and wants to play it over and again and get better at it or play at a harder mode. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people are filthy casuals. I think, <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, that's and that's great. That's totally yeah. great because that's all I am now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've casual. lost whatever ability I had as a kid. I used to be so good at some of these games. Oh, but not anymore. I don't. I got old. Do you guys remember when like the uh, claw grabber machines where you could pick up stuffed animals were really easy? When were did they that ever really easy? There was a five-year. Are we in the dark Either timeline th- now? When they're not easy? No, anymore? this was a brighter. Yeah, well, <laughs> darkest timeline. Okay, so maybe I had some sort of magical gift, mm-hmm. or. What might be more likely is the fact that the claw grabber machines were way easier. And I had like bags and bags of stuffed animals that like to the point where we had to donate them to homeless shelters because they were like stuffing the walls of my room. Whoa. What was the name of that that rock musical that like from the Who? That Pitbull was like... Wizard? Yeah. And, like, like the stuffed animal claw grabber wizard? <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> but like I was just trying to figure out if that was just me. Like that was that my magical like I'm this is the thing I'm going to be proficient at as a kid because I didn't we had video games, but I didn't play. I think I had a Sega Genesis in my room when I was about 12. Cool. But, but like that was my thing. And I was wondering if maybe it was just that era. Of... You should have never stopped. You could have been like the the world champion. Oh, you could have like a... My life is ruined. <laughs> you could have like a Twitch stream channel for <laughs> yes. just claw machine. Or I just go and run the claw grabber. But now they're awful. Like they're completely powerless now. Oh, they have. They can't pick up anything. <laughs> no. It's just like. Ugh. But they give. They put weird stuff in them now too. It's like a Rolex watch. Prompt. Like it's like when there's nice stuff in there, you know it's a scam. Of course. Oh my! God. Maybe that was the thing. Is like it cost pennies to produce like the little crappy stuffed animals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like a GoPro in there, and you're like, I know like, that's I'm, not happening. No. Unless <laughs> yeah. I can get telekinesis and <laughs> hover that over the hole. No. Oh man, I used to want to have telekinesis for playing pinball, and now now that I'm older, I now that I'm older, I'm like, no, I should just play pinball and get better at it. Before, I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if I could make the ball go up the ramp a bunch with my mind powers? I am so glad I Now don't... I just want to rob banks with mind powers. If I if I had basically. carry-esque mental powers, that would be a bad idea. One, if I did, um, I would have a Jason Voorhees-esque body count just from working in customer service. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I know you, for you'd, sure. You'd cause someone just to trip over something as they're, trying, as they're storming out of the building. A lot of people building. like... A lot of like... A million dollar baby fall down, snap your neck type moments <laughs> would have probably happened. <laughs> Gotta make it look like an accident. Just, oops. Oh, why, no. Why does everyone use their telekinesis for evil? Oh. Well, I would just like, you know, if someone's about to spill their coffee, fix a coffee cup. Neck like, massage. Yeah. Just, ooh, ooh. I mean, I think the thing is, is you want, you want to say, oh, you'll be a hero and you'll stop the toddler from walking in front of the car or whatever. You know, like he'll push her back. But, but tod- how often do you ever see that? 
you more more often you see people just being assholes and you're like oh, someone's gonna get well, them well maybe if the toddler's an asshole that's different <laughs> <laughs> everything inevitably turns into Akira yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one I would is is the the assholes that use the bus only lane during the morning commute. Ah. I would like to just push their car off the road, just make their wheels turn right into the guardrail. People that speed up when you turn your turn signal on, mm. they're like, "Oh yeah, no, no one's in front of me," <laughs> and I'm like, "Why? You didn't care a second ago. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Uh. Jesus Christ! Congratulations, you got to work two seconds faster." <laughs> Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Kentucky Fried Chicken. This is Colonel Sanders, and I'm happy to say it's time for another two-for-one sale. In all of my Kentucky Fried Chicken stores across Canada, when you buy one snack pack at the regular price, you get another one free. That's my cross-Canada two-for-one sale, Thursday, April the 26th only.